and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. So first of all, just thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. You're giving us your time, and time is the most valuable resource we have. So we appreciate you giving us the time and also giving yourself the time to think about these conversations and think about the meaning behind these conversations and how they're meaningful to you as well. So thanks for being here and thanks for filling your own cup up with knowledge, with wisdom, and hopefully with some intentional gems. If you enjoyed today's conversation, we'd appreciate it if you shared it on social media, share it on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever it is your social. Social media is this unbelievable gift if used the right way to share conversations. And I think if we continue to share these types of conversations, we will all become wiser, more meaningful, more intentional with how we're going about our life. So thanks for sharing these conversations. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, go over to iTunes and write us a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, Those reviews really do help us as we continue to try to expand our reach. Now to today's guest. Rob McClanahan, or Rob Mack as he goes by, is regarded as the premier NBA skills development trainer in the game today. I've seen him at work. I saw him work with NBA prospects out in LA about 10 years ago, and he has over 15 years of experience helping elite athletes hone their skills and realize their full potential. And his clientele and his client list is just insanely impressive. He's worked with Derrick Rose, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love, Al Horford, John Wall, and Candace Parker, who we've had on this podcast, who's one of the best women's basketball players to ever play the game. So he's really worked with truly elite basketball players who are some of the best at their craft in the world. So we're going to talk about what makes those athletes special and what he's witnessed since he's had an up close and personal seat into who they are as people and what they do to work on themselves as basketball players and as human beings. Rob also played college basketball at Syracuse University, my alma mater, where he was a three-year basketball letterman. He's going to talk about walking on to the team and then going on to play in three NCAA tournaments. Rob has also built a unique personal brand by leveraging three main principles that resonate not only in the sports arena, but also in the corporate world. 
He really believes in the power of leveraging networking, which we're going to talk about in this conversation, building relationships and being a pro or professionalism. He's a bi-coastal resident. Rob calls Rhode Island home and he's going to talk about his Rhode Island upbringing in this conversation. And he spends the summer months, the NBA offseason, primarily in LA where he trains high profile NBA players. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Rob McClanahan. Rob, great to have you on the podcast. Our intersections crossed a while back. It's got to be almost 10 years ago. I had an NBA draft website when uh, I was in grad school for sports psychology, and I went down to Los Angeles to go watch you work out some players for the NBA draft, and uh, we connected there, and then I've enjoyed following you on social media ever since. Uh, we also both attended Syracuse University, where you had a different role than I had, um, but when I was at Syracuse, right. we we won a championship. So I've got that going for me, even though I didn't really do much. Right, right. Another guy uh, who played, had a long career in the NBA had a lot to do with that championship. But what I'd love to learn from you to start is a little bit about your background, your upbringing. Mm -hmm. Give me an idea of what life was like for you as a kid and what shaped your life growing up. Yeah, so I grew up in Rhode Island, uh, born and raised in, in Cranston, Rhode Island. Um, Ended up going, I had a sister who was, we were 11 months apart, so average twins, you know, to the day, February 12th and then January 12th. So, um, and then I went to all boys Catholic high school. My dad was, was Lieutenant Colonel. My mom was a, a school teacher. Um, dad you know, was Lieutenant Colonel where? Army. Army. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, worked, and worked for the state department as well, the health department. You know, so, you know, very strict household. Mom was actually a former nun uh, when she, you know, when she was, uh, before she got married, obviously, um, you know, so definitely religious slash strict household, all boys Catholic high school, uh, love basketball. I mean, grew up, you know, Larry Bird down the street, obviously the MJ and magic era. Uh, you know, I see tickets to the big East when the big East was the big East, the real big East. So grew up watching, you know, Patino and Calhoun and Bayheim and, you know, and St. John's and Louis Carnesecca, you know, when, when it really was the Big East. So I've always had this, like, vision of me playing the Big East. and um, But I wasn't really good enough to actually get a scholarship, obviously. So, you know, ended up walking on. And, um, you know, that's a story in itself. But, you know, walking on really, Syracuse really, you know, helped my career take off after that. We're going to get into walking on because I'm really curious about that. But growing up in a strict household <laughs> – with dad in the military, was there ever a thought for you that you would follow that path and go that route? Uh, no, I had no interest. I just wanted to play basketball, honestly. That's all I wanted to do was either, you know, coach in college and NBA or play in the NBA in college. That's really my, the only thing I had on my mind. What did you love about basketball? Uh, I liked that you could just all you needed was a ball and a hoop and you could just play anywhere. You didn't, and really, you just needed one person, maybe two at the most, to actually get a competitive game going. You know, um, so I like that. Um, you could play all year long, no matter what the weather is, really, if you wanted to. Um, and I, I just, I just like the, you know, the play is very visible. You know, football, you wear helmets. You know, baseball, you bat once every four times. I think basketball, just you know, I saw it every day, and I grew up in an era when basketball was really taken off. You know, so especially you know in the Big East and the Celtics, you know, so it's kind of around it a lot. And growing up, going to Catholic school, uh, you mentioned mom was a nun. How were you raised from a religious standpoint? And, and talk about faith in the family and, and what role it played. Yeah, very Catholic family. Uh, not like crazy, you know, overzealous Catholic, but, you know, you know, 
church every Sunday, you know, baptized, confirmed, all that. Um, so, yeah, definitely, you know, my dad being strict, my mom being the one that was a little softer, but in a good way, you know, and, and you know, respect people and, you know, that kind of thing, look people in the eye, and, you know, those kind of just manners, I guess. What values did mom pass down to you? Uh, at least, you know, just stuff like that, you know, treat everyone the way they want to be treated, you know, um, you know, give thanks to, you know, God every day, um, you know, values that, you know, she didn't push it though. She let me kind of be my old man, but this is, you know, she still brings it up all the time. So, yeah. and what's your relationship like with, with mom now and dad, you mentioned you, she still brings it up all the time. What's your relationship? Like with now? Yeah. My actually dad, uh, passed away of cancer eight years ago. My mom, um, yeah, she's, she's great energy, uh, you know, great relationship with her. She's was a librarian in school. You know, she, she the book coming out, it really excites her, you know, uh, you know, so I think something she's, she's only wanted to do as well. So, uh, I think me having a book come out is really, you know, makes her proud. And were they supportive of you playing basketball? What were they thinking as far as, it sounds like you were obsessed with basketball and that was everything. Oh, very supportive, very supportive. And they knew I was very, very competitive. Um, you know, they usually took two cars to my high school games because if I lost, my mom didn't want to go in the car with me. Uh, so my dad would take me home. Uh, yeah, she so didn't want to be in the she didn't want to be in the car with you because she was worried about what she would say or what was. What no, was because I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Had a bad temper, <laughs> you know, very competitive, sore loser, I guess. Uh, you know, so but it was uh, good competitive. It wasn't you know, uh, you know, but very supportive. Whatever wanted to do AU. Even, you know, if I wanted to play Division two or three, if I wanted to try to walk on, they were all about it. And as far as that process, why did you decide to walk on at Syracuse? Um, well, I wanted to go there for communications, you know, thinking maybe I'll be a sports broadcaster or something like that. Um, but also, I don't know what I like about Syracuse. I don't know if it's just the, you know, the old school Big East. It was Coach Beheim, It was the uniforms. I don't know, it was just they had like the swagger bottle. I don't know. And I remember, you know, Providence games and all this stuff. It was like half of the games were like orange in the stands, you know. So I love the following. And so I just figured, you know what? I love that basketball squad, They're great communications. I'll try to do both. Um, so I went up there and tried to walk on, worked out with the team and didn't make it my freshman year. Then continued to work out with the team that summer. And the coaches and players were kind of surprised because. Again, it doesn't mean I'm making the team because I work out with them. I was kind of doing it. Really wasn't partying, get up at 6 a.m. with the team. And they had a season coming up, and I might get cut again, right? But put my time in, and uh, thankfully the staff decided to uh, keep me on for the next three years. Why do you think you chose to go that path freshman year? As you said, you're cut. A lot of people take their basketball and go home and you know play intramurals or whatever, and maybe they'd party or maybe they'd focus on a club or yeah. know, another hobby. What, why do you think you were drawn to keep going and keep going back? Uh, I mean, a, a big reason was I didn't want to just let it go. I was still holding on, I think, to, to a dream of playing at that level or in the NBA or whatever. But also I knew if I made that team, you know, and, and Coach and I de developed a relationship that I know he could maybe help me after and make a call for me to get a job because I w really wanted a coach. And I obviously a coach from Jim Bayheim or – that staff is you know, going to help more than division two or three staff, you know? And did you have a coach that greatly influenced you in your childhood that sort of made you think that that would be a good possibility for yourself? Um, my high school coach, Steve says already, uh, you know, old school Italian coach, you know, hard nosed guy. He definitely pushed me to the limit. 
but but uh, I think most people when I said I was gonna walk on, honestly, were like, "Yeah, you're you're crazy." So because they didn't my think dad's, you were good unless enough, my dad, unless my dad's donating a lot of money, which he didn't want to do. So, <laughs> um, yeah, they just think, you know, what, what are you talking about? You know, you, you were a good player in Rhode Island, yeah, you won, you know, all state and won a championship, but like doesn't mean you can play in Syracuse, you know. How did you respond when they would react that way? Uh, I loved it. You know, I loved it. I was like, okay, cool. If you think that, that'll make it. Well, you know, you're right. If not, you know, you look really stupid. So I kind of, I kind of like that stuff. Were you more, me. were you more leaning towards, I'm going to show you and uh, you're going to look stupid or were you more like, oh yeah, maybe you're right. Oh no, definitely. You're going to look stupid. Definitely. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was going to make that tape for, for sure. So chip on the shoulder, a little bit of an edge, like would that be the way to describe you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And does dad have that? Does mom have that? Where do you think that comes from? Um, that's a good question. Yeah, probably a little combination of both. Uh my mom's a very strong woman. She beat cancer three or four times. Uh I mean, obviously my dad was in the army. So I'd probably make sure of both, just kinda like, you know, not taking no for an answer, kind of attitude, you know. The grit, the perseverance, the passion, all that sort of right. stuff. And yep. your your sister being so close in age, what was your relationship like with her growing up? Uh, didn't get along at all, uh, you know, because, you know, we had some of the same friends. And, you know, in high school, I wanted to date her friends. And, you know, it's just it wasn't wasn't good. But uh, as we get older, realize, you know, how close we really are, um, in a sense, if that makes sense, you know. So, um but yeah, now, you know, she has just had a fourth kid yesterday. I have three kids, so it's it's fun time. Does she have that same grit that it sounds like the rest of the family has? Does she have that as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. She, she's got a chip on her shoulder. She's got a PhD while she had three kids. So, uh, yeah, she, she's the same way as me for sure. Probably was more stubborn than me. Was, was education something that mom and dad talked about in the house? Or um, was that something you guys found on your own? Yeah, definitely. My dad had two master's degrees, um, and they, they they definitely found that very important. They were very strict with homework and getting stuff done. And um, but you know, after undergrad, they didn't push anything else. They, you know, she kind of did that just on her own recently. So, and did Dad talk about his military experience with you guys as far as leadership goes and um, how he approached leading teams and, and individuals? Um, yeah, we talked about it. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, his, his stuff in the army and what kind of what he went through and saw and his training. Um, but yeah, we'd have those father son talks. If I you know, gave an attitude on the court or something, or gave a referee a face or my coach, you know, he wasn't having any of that stuff. So sure. Sort of old school in that way. Definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And, and now you're at Syracuse and you're playing, you know, Top level D1 every day, I'm sure, in practice, you're competing against some of the best basketball players in the world. What's that like for you as a sophomore I'm, as you make the team and, and you're, you're now engaged and involved in it? Yeah. Um, it, was, it was crazy, but, you know, for some reason, I think because I worked out with them so many times and I knew the guys, that first practice wasn't a big of a deal because I've been with them every day pretty much in preseason. So it was actually gave me more confidence because I already knew these guys. And they knew Mace wasn't like, who's this guy? You know, so I kind of went in there with just nothing to lose. You know, I mean, you know, every practice, find a shot, I was going to take it. It's just like one of those things I, you know, I had free reign because I knew it kind of probably wasn't going to play anyway. So why not 
keep shooting practice, you know, so. Where, where does your confidence come from? Because it sounds like you had, A, the confidence to perform well in high school. Uh, you yeah. mentioned, you know, a good basketball player in high school. B, the confidence to say, you know what, I think I can play at this level when the feedback I'm getting from people that know me say, yeah, you probably can't. And then the third time that you're talking about confidence is the willingness to shoot because there's nothing to lose. Like, where do you build that confidence? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's just, it's just in me. Um, I've always been that way. Um, at the same time, I've never been like arrogant or anything bad about it. You know, I think a lot of the players, I think talk about me in the book, how, how humble I actually can be, even though I work out these guys. And I think that's, you know, there's a thin line between, you know, being confident and being like arrogant. Um, even on my social media, I'm not like, Oh, look at me with all these players. I've just never done that. Um, it's just not me, but as far as, yeah, I, sometimes I definitely have a silent confidence, um, not to lose kind of attitude. You know, I always say, like, you know, if you don't shoot your shot, you know, there's no chance of making it, right? So I think, you know, I, I prepared for it. You know, I knew going into Syracuse that that first season I made the team, I was working out so hard for two years. I could put on 30 pounds of muscle. So I went in there like, you know, I deserve to be out here. In, in, in a way, you know, I, I got cut last year. I, I did what they told me to do. And I always give the comparison, you know, if you have a test on Friday in high school and you study Monday through Friday, you go on that test. And I got this. But if you study Friday morning on the bus, we've all done it. We're like, oh, God, I'm not going to do well here. You know, so kind of how I approached it. I, was, I studied for my test. So why not just, you know, take the test? So you knew you put the work in and then you also have this inner belief in yourself that you'll be able to figure it out and, and, and perform to whatever you're keeping. Yeah, on. definitely. Definitely. You know, it's funny you brought up confidence and arrogance. Uh, I had on Brian Mitchell who played in the NFL for a long time and one of the best kickoff returners of all time, undersized guy who uh, played quarterback in college and then uh, converted to a running back and a kickoff return guy and has all kinds of records for kickoff return and punt return. And he talked about Joe Gibbs, the legendary coach who coached for the Redskins for a number of years, and how he would always say, I want you to have an inner arrogance, like this inner arrogance that you are important, that you're valuable, that you matter. And we want to try to cultivate and develop that inner arrogance. And so I'm hearing you talk about, I'm not arrogant, I'm, I'm very confident, but I'm not the person that's going to be, you know, bragging about who I work with and on social media and always telling people about this and that and the right. respect the respect that those basketball players have because you carry yourself that way. What I'm hearing, though, is that I have this inner arrogance, this inner belief that I matter, that I'm important, that I can figure it out. And I think that there is a uh, – people look at the word arrogance in a negative light because we all see the outer arrogance that people can have at times and flex their muscles and show off and uh, say that they're better than they might actually be. But I think, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. Every elite performer that I've ever been around has this inner arrogance, this belief. Uh, and you've worked with one of the guys who I think from the outside looking in has it more than almost anybody in, in Steph Curry. Like when he gets across half court, the idea that he's in range, like yep. before he started doing that, nobody was doing that. So there has to be this inner arrogance that he has because he put in the work and because he was humble in his preparation that he's earned the right to have that inner arrogance uh, and that belief that, yes, I'm going to make this shot a and B that I'm in range because other people would look at that and be like, you're crazy. Um, right. I'd love for you to riff on that for yourself. And then if you want to talk about any of your uh, clients that you've seen over the years and how they uh, developed that, I'd, I'd love to learn from you. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, with, for, for myself, I think it's just, you know, again, I think it's all preparation. And, and, and it's, you know, from high school, from my sophomore, junior year, I didn't really play a lot. And then my junior to my senior year, that offseason, I never worked harder in my life. And writing the book, it kind of came full circle for me because I remember, you know, uh, me and my writer sitting down. He said, you know, who was, who was working you out at this outdoor court in the woods? And it's a chapter in my book called Into the Woods. And um, I said, you know, I worked myself out. I'm thinking about it now. And it's, 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 it's kind of fascinating because it's like that's the first time I started, like, working guys out. But it was myself, you know, and I'm making up my own drills. And so I was writing the book. It's like, oh, wow, it started then, you know. Um, so that was you know, soft, so I, sophomore, Rob, that was soft, after sophomore year. You don't play a lot. At, after my junior year, I would think in high school. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. High school. Yeah. So it's my going to my senior year, want to really win a championship, start. You know, I wouldn't start my junior year and I ended up playing, starting and literally playing the whole game and then sub me out when the state championship didn't lose a game. So So that you know, big gap, there was a there was a huge growth in your game from junior year to senior year where junior yeah. year of high school you're not playing a lot you go into the woods you work on your game you're working on all the skills and the techniques and you're coaching yourself and you're putting in the work and then you get the reward of playing a lot senior year and having success yeah definitely definitely i mean couldn't have been a, a better year and, and i went in there again with a ton of confidence because i just worked at it so much and then party with all my friends and i'm a girlfriend i just kind of just just dialed in i knew this was my last year in high school at this point, I didn't know if I play in college at all. So um, so I kind of knew how to prepare myself, and, and that definitely made me confident. I think that led to the Syracuse stuff, too. And, and just listen, if you, if you prepare enough or almost over-prepare, you know, you're going to go into any situation confident. I don't care if I'm playing against Ethan Thomas or Jason Hart. I'm going to go out there and have confidence. And if, and if I shy away and I'm not confident, why would Coach – even put me in, in a practice, you know, so or a game for that matter, anything. So, you know, and get back to the players, NBA guys, you know, listen, Steph, Katie, guys I work with, Love, Rose, Russell, you know, these guys, yeah, you know, do they have swagger and, and do they are they all stars? Yeah, but why? It's because they put the work in, you know, and, and Steph's a good example of yeah, very very quiet assassin, very, very humble assassin, I guess. Um but Steph puts the work in. So, and you know, if you watch a guy like Kevin Durant or Steph or Caleb and these guys, if they miss, you know, five straight shots, they're still shooting the six. A lot of guys that don't prepare will miss two or three, the first two or three of the game, and the next thing you know, they're not really shooting the rest of the game because they don't have the confidence to do it. But these other guys are like, you know what? No, I, I just worked all summer, you know, to prepare for this. And, so what I miss for play percentages, and I would say you hit the next four. You know, you're fifty percent shooter, whatever. So, um, that's you know, those guys. I've seen other guys that just don't work at it in the summer, and you know, again, they'll miss three of the first three of the first four shots in a game, and next thing you know, they're not confident for the rest of the game. These other guys that prepared for it, like, no, I worked too hard to not to shoot this next one. You know, so it's a very subconscious thing, I think, as well. Um, you know, but I, you know, the guys that are prepared, not only with training with me, but it's the lifting, it's the, you know, the rehab, it's, it's, it's the recovery, it's the eating well, it's the sleeping well, it's doing the right things all summer and you know, all year. Um, that all add up, you know, to being, I would say, you know, live, you live your life like a pro.
That's awesome. I don't know if you remember this, but last year there was a game where James Harden was over 15 uh, in the playoffs and mm-hmm. uh, he entered the fourth quarter over 15, which was a record for most <laughs> misses uh, yeah. in a game. And in the fourth quarter, he had 14 points, went three of five from three and like willed his team to the win. And after the game, the, the sideline reporters interviewing him and like, James, how did you keep going when you were 0 for 15? And he looked at her and he goes, I didn't know. I was 0 for 15? He didn't, yeah. he didn't, it didn't even right. register. And then Chris Paul came over, who he's, he was playing with at the time. And he's like, Chris, he's like, he was 0 for 15? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's what we do. We work all summer to shoot these shots. Like, that's, that's what we do. And to your point, like I've always said, if you're 0 for 10 and uh, you don't believe that, the next shot's going to go in, then you probably shouldn't have shot the first 10 shots in the first place. Right. Like, so right, right. Like, then you probably just weren't a good enough shooter to earn that. Um, so it's really interesting. We're going to get more into the players and um, cause I mean, the, the roster of players that you've been around that you just mentioned a few of them um, is they're, they're diverse. They're different. And I'm yeah. curious to learn about their differences as much as their similarities. And I think that's going to be really interesting for me and our listeners to learn from. But as you're at Syracuse and you're a sophomore and you're busting your ass um, and you're going against, I mean, Jason Hart, for those that don't know, is stud point guard, played in the NBA. Now he coaches at USC, um, super talented, just like an amazing point guard. You mentioned Natan Thomas, who played in the NBA for a number of years. So you guys were a very, very good basketball team. Uh, what are you learning about team when you're going through that? What, what functions of that team made that team special? Um, what are the elements that you learned about the team? Yeah, I mean, that year was my junior year. We started 19-0. and 0, um, And I, I just remember that, you know, we had a lot of veterans. A lot of, you know, Jason Hart, you know, Tom, we were, you know, our seniors, uh, all Big East players. Uh, you know, Jason started, I think, almost every game for Syracuse in his career, except, like, for one game. Um, but – you really saw that everyone was kind of in it for the team. Um, I think guys realize Jason and Etan, they've been there four years. This is our, this is our year. Um, so it was really never about, you know, who's going to have the most points, who's going to take the last shot. And Coach Bayham did a very good job of, of, of making sure the egos were set aside. Um, you know, and I think when we started 8-0, 10-0, I think we were like, you know, well, we're pretty good, you know, and uh, – you know, when we started getting a little little itch, you know, 11 or 12 and 0, and, you know, now we're really good, you know, 15 and 0. So, and then we realized, okay, you know, it's okay to get eight points and in, in, in two assists, or if the other guy gets 20 points and, and nine, you know, nine rebounds, whatever. So, um, it, was, it was kind of a thing that was never talked about too much. It kind of just happened. And I think Jason was just a great leader in that team. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, you know, so when things did get maybe a little, you know, hectic, you know, Jason wasn't going to calm him down. You know, Hop was a great assistant coach helping with that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, any town was a good leader too. You know, and I think everyone just kind of was in it for the same, for the same reason. Unfortunately, we lost in the Sweet 16 to Michigan State. That was the year they won the championship. Uh, but the game was in Detroit. I'll say that. Uh, so that didn't, <laughs> that didn't help. Uh, but it was, yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun year. And, I, listen, I still talk to those guys all the time. You mentioned leadership. What makes a good leader? Someone who leads by example. Um, you know, Steph's a great leader uh, in the sense where, you know, you don't see Steph really getting in people's faces and yelling and pointing fingers. And, you know, it's more just by example. And what do I mean by that? It's, it's you know, 
being on time, being, you know, being early, staying late, uh, say, saying the right things to the coaches, being in it for the team, you know, not worrying about your stats, um, you know, sitting a guy, a guy down talking to them like a grown man, not yelling in the guy's face, uh, you know, saying the right things to the media, um, you know, not, not calling anyone out in the media, you know, coaches or players or teammates and keeping it within the team. I think, you know, too much now it goes outside because outside you now there's more noise with the media and maybe other players or the teams and you know, it, it keeps stuff in house and makes stuff much better. And listen, these, these seasons are so long, you know, just like any of the family, you're going to have your fights. That's why the media blows it up way too much. There's going to be fights in every team. Um, every team I've ever played for just guys that, you know, went after it or whatever. It's fine. It happens. So then that's all right. But it's just the way you handle it. And I think, you know, there's ways to do it without, you know, going overboard. What was your senior year at Syracuse like? Because those guys were gone. Uh, what was that experience like for you? It was great. That was probably, you know, my most fun year only because it was my, it was my last year. I kind of knew the system. Coach and I became closer, the whole staff and I. And Troy Weaver showed up my senior year, and Troy ended up being, you know, assistant GM of the Thunder, which is kind of crazy. It came full circle. Um, you know, so it was a really fun year. And actually, I played a couple of games in the first half against Big East teams, which walk-ons don't do, obviously. But he had, he had confidence in me. And it was – I never get – I got to see the hall. He's like, Rob, get in there. It was like a tie game. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you, let's go. And, and I went in the biggest game, tied up in the first half against Seton Hall, guarding Shaheen Holloway, you know, scared to death up there. So um, – but, it, but it, was, it, was, it was a really fun year for me because – you know, I've developed really good friendships with Alan Griffin, Damone Brown, uh, Preston Shumpert. You know, so we, we had a great time on the court, off the court, hung out together all the time. Um, ended up losing the second round to Kansas. But, um, yeah, I remember being, uh, you know, being upset when the season was over. And uh, definitely, have, you know, that was some of the best years of my life for sure. Why do you think Coach had confidence in you? Um, I think that he saw that a confidence in myself. Um, that I didn't back down from these guys, even though they were scholarship players, future NBA players. I think he kind of liked my swag a little bit. And don't forget, Coach was a walk-on himself. So, you know, maybe he saw a little bit, of, you know, uh, of him and me. I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, he was great. And when people asked in the media, why would you put Robin in the first half? He's a walk-on. He never made a big deal about it. He's like, we needed a guy. Next question. You know, like, he could have made a big deal about it. Oh, I don't do that often. It's not going to happen again. Is there any other guy? So it was kind of cool. I, I just want to, because there's people that are going to listen to this that don't know anything about Syracuse basketball. And since I went there, uh, you know, I've followed them for the last 20 years oh, or boy. so. And I don't remember him playing walk-ons very often in the last 20 years. And, you know, certainly when the game's out of hand, like you referenced in the second half, but as, as the first half goes in those situations, I don't remember it. So it's just interesting to hear you say, well, maybe he knew that I knew that I had confidence in myself and my abilities, because I think there are people that are listening to this that might be in a situation where they're not exactly where they want to be. And they are looking for somebody to tap them on the shoulder and put them in the quote unquote game. And the fact that you believed in yourself and you stayed, you know, practicing and busting your ass and competing and not being afraid. Right. Like 
perhaps that is what helped you create an opportunity for yourself. Uh, and, and then to your point, he just looked at it as like, no, Rob could contribute. He was just another guy, but yeah. it starts with you from the inside working to the outside. Whereas I think a lot of people are hoping that the outside will give them something to the inside. And it's, you know, that can happen in this world. People do give opportunities to people, but from everything you're saying, it sounds like you earned that opportunity and then went in there and just focused on competing. It sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, again, I think it just goes, you know, I was one of those guys too, because just because I was a walk-on doesn't mean I didn't work out with the guys and the starters. I mean, I was, they would hop sometimes early, stay late. I get, I get shots up by myself. And it was funny because I think a lot of, you know, I think some people are like, this guy's working a lot for no, he's not going to play, you know? Um, you know, but I'm all about opportunity. And if I did get that opportunity, you know, I wanted to be ready, you know? And if you, you know, Eminem says, you know, you might get one shot, you know? So, you know, and I, and I got that, you know, I did get that one shot and I think I was prepared for it. It didn't last long, but I, you know, I, you know, I worked three years for that one shot and uh, I just wanted to make sure I was prepared. And I, in a practice, you know, I played by far the most of any walk on those, those three years. Um, Cause I competed, I competed, I talked smack and, you know, I never gave in. I followed guys hard and, and the coach liked that. You know, I just, he, he liked it. I, you know, was out there competing with guys. Again, I'm going to play in the NBA. And off the court, you know, I, I hung out with these guys every day too. So the respect there was, was cool. You know, it wasn't just like, look, look at this guy, who you think he is? Because these are my friends off the court too. So we definitely build a whole camaraderie, I think, the whole team. What was the reaction that you were getting from your hometown when, if, if and when they found out that you were playing in that game? Uh, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, the craziest part, we actually played at Providence my junior year and, uh, we're 18 at that point. And we played at Providence and my, my family, which uh, my tickets now had like seven seats front row, um, opposite the opponent's bench. So I showed up, you know, warm ups and actually the place had to be 500 fans of me in there, you know, whatever. And uh, so, you know, everyone's kind of clapping. It's like, that's Walmart. So the clapping's so loud for. And I'm looking up, you know, talking smack. So, but my, my family ended up, you know, seven seats had this like little banner they were rolling out. Like, what is this? And I said, Rob the Orange Man. I was, I'm over there, like, put it down, put it down, you know. Uh, but that that was really cool because I knew, I knew everybody there. And the media was all over me, you know, just, you know, just did a whole story of me and my, interviewed my, my parents and stuff. So, uh, it was cool. Then a minute left, we're up big. He puts me in. Um, you know, place goes nuts. Yeah, had a, had a three in the left wing, like a thirty-four to missed it. Um, but that was that was a fun time. That was a fun fun two days in Providence. That's awesome. Did you end up majoring in communication? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. So yeah. for those, just to give perspective again, I went to Syracuse as well with the idea of like, oh, I might want to be a sports broadcaster. And here we are doing this podcast. And you right. know, followed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for those that don't know, Newhouse, the School of Communications at Syracuse is, you know, world renowned and a lot of the top sports broadcasters go there. So I'm just curious, what, what was that experience like going through Newhouse and experiencing that? While also I actually might have Newhouse and I majored in speech time. Okay. Um, it was good. I, I actually wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to do the sports broadcasting stuff. But then when I started like studying a little bit, I'm like, God, this is, this is a tough business. You know, like, I don't know if I want to go work in Bangor, Maine, you know, for uh, 
to 10 grand and then move my way up to Wichita, Kansas for 20, you know? So, uh, I quickly changed my mind on that. And that's when I decided I'm going to, you know, be a head coach in division one, you know, which is, which is a really easy path as well. Of course. I'm, I'm yeah, laughing because I have friends that are coaching, uh, in the division one level and sort of all over the place as well. Um, but t- talk about that. So you go on to, to leave Syracuse and take a coaching gig. And what was that like for you to, to move from player to coach? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, coach Bam helped me out. He made a call to Seth Greenberg and, uh, Seth pretty much hired me on the spot, you know, just via phone. And, uh, it was good. I mean, we're actually a decent team. We're LIT. Um, and, uh, you know, I worked with Seth for a while. For no, we did I did a full year with him, but it was crazy because the the fifth game of the year we played at Syracuse, and uh, so you know this is six months after I graduated, so that was weird. You know, to sit on the other bench, go through you know pregame, see coach, and and it's funny because I kind of did that scout, even though I was kind of a GA, Seth Greenberg you know, for the obvious reasons, had me do the scout for Syracuse. Um, you know, how they play zone and some plays they run, went up losing. But uh, that was weird you know, after the game, you know, going through a line, sh- you know, shaking coach's hand. You know, just, I was just playing there on that bench, you know, under, under a year ago. So that was weird. But that was, that was yeah, we, we had, uh, had a good year coaching. It wasn't what I thought it would be. There was a lot, you know, wasn't a lot of basketball. It's recruiting and, and make sure guys are great and make sure they're fed and make sure they're on time or just camps. And I just wanted basketball. I don't want all that. So that's why I decided to, you know, get out of that. And when did this idea of skills training come into your mind? When did it become a possibility? Well, when I was in South Florida, I met some guys at IMG Academy, Bradenton, Florida. And um, that's when I first saw, oh, you can work guys out for a living. Interesting. So it wasn't that big. They didn't have a court. They, they were using junior college. So they were kind of doing it, but it wasn't fully there yet. And um, so I, I met Joe Bunasar, the guy that ran the basketball part. And I asked that next year, I became a teacher back at my alma mater high school. And, uh, and the summer's off, obviously. So I said, can I come down there and intern? He goes, yeah. So he paid me a minimal amount, but it was, you know, housing. And I just – like I said, rebounded and shagged balls and ran kids' camps and did whatever they wanted me to do. And I did that for like three straight summers. And you were teaching all three of those years? Yeah, did three years of teaching, phys ed. Were you coaching as well or were you just Yeah, coaching, coaching in my high school where I went, yeah. So you're coaching at high school, you're teaching. What was it like to teach uh, at the high school? Uh, again, it was different being on the other side. I mean, it was phys ed. I'm not going to say it was challenging at all, but – um, it ended up working out perfectly because I'm done at two o'clock every day, then summer's off. So that's when people train, right? So without that job, I probably wouldn't have gotten the training until I had to work in the summer. At that point, are you thinking, all right, maybe I'll just become a high school basketball coach? Or are you now having a vision of, man, I would love to develop guys? Uh, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go the – I still wanted to coach. So if something the Syracuse opened, I would always co-coach on that. But – now my, my, my thing was work guys out again on the NBA team, you know, staff. Um, that was my goal. But I knew I had to build my resume. So IMG was a big thing. I got into ABCD camp with Sonny Vaccaro, which was a major break for me. That's where I met Derek Rose and Kevin Love. Um, and then Joe Bruno started left IMG, opened a facility in Vegas, hired me as right-hand man. 
So that's when really things started to take off a little bit. And I was doing this full time now. So, but it's, again, it wasn't something, you know, at that day and age, at least, oh, I want to be a trainer when I grow up because it didn't really exist. Basketball training, you know, so it kind of just happened. Yeah, it's interesting skill development, both individually, like the work that you do, and then also teams now. You see how teams are investing in developing their right. teams. Whereas 20 years ago, it was X's and O's, it was, you know, strength training. Um, you know, not even nutrition. Um, yep. It's just, it's just amazing that the timing of this career for you um, mattered. If you were 20 minutes, 20 years before that, it, you know, it, it might not have um, taken off in that, in that direction, but you're, right. you're now out in Las Vegas and you're doing this work with uh, pros and you're working with Joe. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was great. Cause that was kind of the first time I had, um, you know, Joe kind of gave me free reign to work guys out. Uh, so it was like Torian Green, Ryan Gomes came out there, Jared Dudley, Telfair, uh, and then Ty Lue and Phillips and Garnett would come out a lot. So it was kind of cool to actually, like, you know, be able to kind of do my own drill, do my own stuff, and not just rebound a pass. Um, and, again, I, I was really confident at it. And, I, you know, I, I think because I just studied the game so much and, and I wanted to have my own stuff. I don't want to just take drills from everybody. Um, and I just came with a presence of, you know, make sure you're accountable. Make sure you work hard. I don't need you to hit three hours. I need you one hour, you know, in and out. You guys like that. I was just very efficient with my workout and um, definitely a little different than Joe um, as far as I was more in there grinding, sweating, guarding guys. Um, yeah, and I, and I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed seeing people get better, not just pros, but, you know, a 12-year-old kid. It's kind of, you know, I like seeing people improve every day and, and, and showing them what hard work really is. I would imagine there's some creativity that comes with creating your own, play, you know, your own drills and your own skills. How would you cultivate that creativity and, and how would you capture that creativity? Um, yeah, I think, I think just watching a lot of games helped, you know, and, and I, I'd see moves and I write down moves and then I'd, you know, maybe switch it up on my own or use the same move in the drill. Um, but, you know, I, I played so much that I would you know, go on the court sometimes and make up drills on my own, just, you know, it's me in the court. Um, and, and listen, there's definitely things I've taken some other people um, and combined it with mine. You know, so over time I've seen so much from a lot of, you know, a lot of coaches I played for to a lot all the camps I've been to all my years. You know, to all the workouts I've seen, to all the games I've watched, it kind of just all came together, you know, uh, these 20 years in the making pretty much, you know. It sounds like you're an experiential learner that when you've got your hands dirty and you're actually in the thing, you can shift things, change things, and create in that space. And you like actually being in, yeah, in, like in Hamilton, say, in the room where it happens, right? Like being in that in that room and where you can orchestrate and shift and change and coach. And um, so as these players start, start valuing this, um, how did you think about your own vision for yourself and your own business and how you could make this a full-time gig and eventually break off from Joe and, and, and start to do your own thing? Yeah. Well, from Joe, I got hired by Wasserman media group. Uh, I got very lucky with those guys it was BJ Armstrong. It was, became Derek Rose's agent. Um, Bob Myers was now the president of the Warriors. And finally, Arn Tellum was the top agent in the world at the time. So 
uh, moving in with them quick was, you know, they hired me full time as a play development guy, which didn't exist back then. We kind of started that pioneered that. What, why, why did they do that? Because that's when we met was when you were yeah. doing that work. And I was pretty blown away that an agency at that point would have mm -hmm. a, a full-time guy that's dedicated to developing their guys. Can you just talk about the business idea behind that and, and just take us behind the scenes as far as why they did that? Cause at the time it's pretty, it's a pretty innovative move. Yeah. Um, we just talked about it and you know, they said, we want to hire you to work out our guys. They flew me to LA we met at Arn's house. And I said, uh, I want to, but what am I supposed to be doing? October through, you know, May or whatever. And I said, I, I think I'm the one that said, why don't I be your guy that during the season, I go, you know, see this guy for four days, three days. It's, it's a great, you know, when you have a player, you can say we have our own development guy and our dime, go see you and send you film, you know, and pay me a minimal amount. And if it helps you keep players or get players, you know, why not do it? And, you know, they were like, yeah, you're right. You know, um, so we kind of just did a year deal and they didn't even make me live in LA because it doesn't matter. I was going to travel here, here. Um, and it was really kind of cool because we're the first ones to ever do it. And it was kind of that they liked it in recruiting that we have our own guy. And, um, you know, I got in that OA draft class, I trained, we had seven of the top 15 picks. So that was the biggest class, you know, maybe ever, you know, for an agency to have. And there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of pressure and stress on me, but it was one of those things that, you know, kind of gave me a little name too. I started getting a lot of media attention because it was Derek, it was Russell. Then I, you know, Love was not with on, but I still had Kevin, you know, so that was, uh, that was a, that was a, a year that kind of gave me a name. And then the following year, Derek and I decided I was going to move to Chicago with him and be closer to him. So I was kind of based in Chicago for two years. And, there's multiple parts of this job there. You mentioned watching film, you mentioned uh, providing s drills. Uh, I would imagine feedback on different ways that they can play. Where do you feel most alive? Which part of the job is where you feel like, man, that's, that's the part that I truly love. Definitely on the court. Yeah. Definitely working with these guys. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, no matter what's going on in people's lives, I think once you, once you get inside those lines, you know, that's the hour I think of like, you know, Nirvana, you know, for me, for the players and you just kind of be yourself. It's what we both love to do. There's no phones, there's no TVs. You just kind of just hoping like you've been doing when you were 12 years old, you know? So, and, and you're improving together. I'm getting better as a trainer and he's getting better as a player. So we're kind of growing together. And, and, I, and we've seen that, you know, when I was a nobody trained in 2007, 2008, Derek and Kevin and Russell, these guys entered the league and kind of, we kind of grew together. So it's, it's been a fun ride. Is there, a, is there a player that you've worked with that you just say that person really dedicated themselves to developing their skills and they reap the rewards and perhaps somebody that someone else might not realize exactly what sort of growth they had um, that you witnessed and you were like, man, they really just grew from, from this process. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lookful, honestly, uh, but early on it was definitely uh my first big group was Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Love. And, uh, you know, kind of go all got down when they were like 18 years old. Derek and Kevin, they were probably like 17. Um, so I've been there literally since day one with them. And, you know, to see them, you know, they were already good. 
you know, but to see them just improve every year, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then learn about the other stuff, how to eat good, you know, how to sleep well, how to make the right decisions and, and just become a man. These kids were still, these guys are still kids, right? 18, 19 years old. So, uh, it was kind of cool to see them figure out for themselves too. Um, you know, but every year we, we'd improve on one, two, three things max. And then next year, improve more on those things and, and the weaknesses, what have you. And then John Wall early on, you know, same thing. I got him young uh, and to see him grow and learn to learn to really slow down and, and not play so fast. Like, you know, Derek and Russell, same thing. Slow, I would say, I would say slow is quick. You know, you, the, the slower you play, the more control you are. Um, and then Kevin's a great, you know, example of just take care of your body, you know, recovery, rehab, the way he, he he's eating and, I mean, what a what an unbelievable pro he is. Al Horford, same thing. Just those guys are just pros on love the court. You know, they don't go work out and they go have, you know, fast food. They go home, they eat kale salad, that's what they prepared, or chicken, you know. Uh, and that takes a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline. You mentioned Kevin Love, and, you know, one thing that people might not realize is that he completely reshaped his body. Uh, mm-hmm. When he came in the NBA, he was much heavier and reshaped his body. But I actually think the most – interesting part of Kevin is right now what he's doing, which is talking about mental health and talking mm-hmm. about his panic attacks and, and what's going on with that. And um, so it's just been interesting to see him also develop from a mental standpoint. Uh, and from really, when I say mental, I mean from a mental health standpoint and be interested in getting help and being vulnerable enough to share his story and along the way, DeMar DeRozan as well. And now we hear players sharing their stories more. And now the NBA actually has a whole program that they're developing with the Players Association for every single team to value mental health. And so it's just interesting that you bring up, bring up Kevin in that way. I'm curious for you, as you're working with all of these different personalities, what are the similarities that you notice uh, between them? Uh, we, we can get into the differences as well, but I'm, I'm curious what some of the similarities are from, from those guys. Of the players? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the great ones that have a lot of the same, same stuff, you know. They, they, they don't miss a workout. They're always on time. Um, they never question me. It's funny because you know, some of these guys are the best players in the world, and I don't recall any of these all-stars and MVPs ever saying, why are we doing this? Um, that's, that's a respect thing. That's a, that's a trust thing that we have. But um, I've got other players that you know, aren't on their level, like, why are we doing this, Rob? Yeah, well, it's you know, questioning. So um, the, the, those top-tier guys, they, they didn't trust me. They wouldn't be with me, right? So they don't question that uh the other the other things are again the right things off the court they're, they're eating well you know having the right people around them they can be positive um you know and, and then you know doing the yoga doing the doing the have nutritionists you know having spending the money investing in your body it's, it's a big thing you know i love the guys that don't want to spend the money in their body but they have you know four cars you know um Kevin understood early that I'm going to put a lot of money into my bodies and the end's going to make me a lot of money. It's an investment like anything else. Um, yeah, but all these guys, it's one of those things I've had to maybe tell them to take time off because they're working too hard. You know, there's other guys that have to beg to come in like three or four days a week. So they're great for a reason. Uh, you know, they have championships and awards for a reason. Uh, you know, it's not a coincidence. You know, you could be a little talent in the world, but if you don't work on it and get better at it as you, you know, as your years go on in the league, it's going to catch up to you really, really fast. 
Hey, Rob, you mentioned that they don't ask why or question. That's while they're doing the drills. But how curious mm-hmm. are these guys when they're not doing the drills? How curious are they to learn about the game or to ask why certain things are a certain way when they're not actually in the training? Yeah, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know, Kevin Durant, he's, you know, he's a basketball nut. He's a sports nut. You know, we used to text all the time about – you know, watching a game or even a football game or basketball, talking about athletes, talking about drills, uh, you know. But these other guys are like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm not watch the NBA, you know. And and I get it, you know. It's like I, I stopped playing pickup a long time ago because, you know, you don't play pickup. I say, like, no, I'm going to gym 10 hours a day. I'm not going back to my office, you know, at night to play pickup, you know. So, yeah, I think everyone's different. There are some guys that are, that are sports nuts, NBA nuts, study it. These other guys that still study it, but they're not they're not going to go home and watch Lakers Clippers. You know, they're just going to go home and you know watch a movie. You mentioned so, being in the gym. Which is fine. You mentioned being in the gym for ten hours a day. What do you need to do from a mindset standpoint to make sure that you're crisp and clear for these guys on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, first of all, I still continue to work out, even though these workouts are work out. You know, I, I need to. I'm not in shape. I can't work these guys out. And it's also hypocritical, right? You know, um, you know, but my mindset is always, you know, to always be positive. Like I'm not, I always tell you, I'm not that coach. I'm not going to yell at them and get mad at them. It's not working hard. It's their careers. It's their money. These are grown men, you know? So I'm not the guy to be like, work harder, you know, it's not, you know, you want to do want to put in the time. You know, that's fine. That's kind of where I approach it. Um, you know, but as far as me, you know, just my biggest challenge is if you, if you have a guy for three, four months a year, for 10 years, you know, you got to keep it interesting. So, you know, so you, you got to create new drills that are not only going to help them, but are going to keep them mentally there and, and not get bored with the drills, me, or, or, or just working out in general. You know, so that's my biggest challenge. You mentioned dad passing away eight years ago of cancer. You mentioned mom yeah. having cancer three or four times. What was that like eight years ago, losing dad? Yeah, it was tough, real tough, because it happened uh, – actually, it happened during the NBA lockout. So, usually, he died uh, November 1st. So, usually, I'm home by then, you know, but I was actually out west working guys out. and They give him a year, so I think after, the, you know, the lockout, I'd just go home and spend a lot of time with him. But, um, you know, my flight got really sick, and uh, obviously, I ended up passing away. So, it, it was tough, but it's funny because – you know, I was home for a good week, and fortunately, I had to go back to work. I mean, the lockout didn't end until Christmas, so but it was like the best thing for me, you know, because I went back to like that's again, that's you know, inside the lines, it kind of like nothing else matters when you know, once you're in there. So it really, really helped me, and not only getting back to workouts, but being around those guys. I mean, and, and these guys are my clients and my friends. Uh, you know, again, Kevin loves my son's godfather. We're very close with these these players, and I don't look at them just like oh, a client, you know invoice them pay me you know it's not like that it's not transactional it's very oh let's work out and scrub dinner time scrub drinks or whatever so that, that actually helped me more than anything awesome and i want to just give you some space to talk about what you're up to now with the book and yeah talk about like i'm curious why you're doing this and why the name it's it's an interesting name so give us an idea yeah. of what the book is all about and and why you're doing this yeah, so a couple of years ago, there's um, some big articles written on me, one by The Ringer, uh, I think one by ESPN or Woj. And so I get a lot, a lot of calls from book agents, 
you know, to maybe, maybe do a book. And I really wanted to do one. Uh, but I narrowed it down about three or four agents. And I told them, this is number one, not a training book. It's not a drill book. And like, you know, step one, you know, dribble here. It's not like that. I don't want that. Number two, it's not going to be like how great Rob is kind of book. I want, I want to tell behind the scenes, look, obviously a little bit about myself and how I got to where I'm at, but more so why they got to where they're at, the players. And we're going to interview every player, behind the scenes look at how they've done it, whether it's, you know, working with me or, or with, with, with the eating, with off the course or whatever it is, what it really takes to get to that level of an athlete. Uh, and really it's parallel to any other industry. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you get to your, your peak of what your, you know, your craft? Um, and the network part was, my friend came up with that name. It's, it's really because, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at if I didn't really network the hell out of myself, quite honestly. You know, I can be the best trainer in the world. It doesn't matter if guys don't want to train with me and, and agents don't trust me, coaches don't trust me. So I really networked like crazy right after I left Syracuse, just using any connection I had through Syracuse, through coaches I'd met, you know, playing against them, through media I'd met. Um, and to this day, I still network a lot. Um, that's kind of how the book was talked about. You know, how I network myself, how I built relationships, not only built them, but maintain them. You know, when you get guys like Steph and, and Kevin, those guys, it's tough to keep them, for, you know, for 10 years because, it's a little, you know, all of a sudden I was all these trainers pulling at them, like, oh, I got the new stuff, whatever. But they know I, I don't have any gimmicks. This is what you get. All my stuff is game moves. Um, but in the book, we talk about networking, relationships, professionalism, and what it takes to be a pro on and off the court. Um, yeah, it comes out October 1st, uh, Steph Curry to the forward. Um, you know, it's, it's a great behind-the-scenes look. Every player interviewed for it. You know, a, a lot of coaches would talk to about it. Um, and, and I think it's just a, a unique look at, you know, I've been fortunate not to have just one guy, but a lot of all-stars and been around them a lot and seeing kind of what it takes to be great. Um, and it's crazy, too. I'm, I'm doing a lot of corporate speaking now. Uh, with, with financial companies and things like that and how parallel it actually is, how I built my brand and how these plays build their brand is very similar to any other company, quite honestly. Is there anything that those players, as you were doing the book, is there anything that they would do mentally intentionally that you thought was, wow, like that's, that's really interesting or something that you observed or witnessed from a mental standpoint, as far as how they train their mind? Um, no, I think, I think everyone trains their mind differently, but I think what they all had in common was they were hard on themselves. Um, you know, sometimes to a point where, you know, it, it, you know like I remember Kevin Durant, if, he, he, if he'd miss a few shots in a workout early on in his career, um, you know, he'd take it hard on himself. And I would say, we got to move on next drill, next shot. You got this, you got this. But it was always a good thing. You rather got to be hard on something than not, right? So it was just my job to say, you know, move on. Hit the next shot. And the game, you miss five straight, you got to move on. It's, you hit the six, you know. That six could be the game where I don't know. You know, so everyone prepared differently, I think. But I think as guys, you know, got older, they realized, you know, a lot of this was mental. You know, and you're going to have bad games. You're going to have people talk about you on Twitter and social media and you got to kind of block out the noise and, and just, you know, laser focus. You mentioned game drills and that you often are very game uh, specific when you're training mm -hmm. guys. I have this framework that 
your mindset for preparation should actually be different than your mindset for performance. So for example, that critical mind that those guys have, they need in preparation to make sure that they're getting better. But when they're in the game, they need to be encouraging. We talked about arrogance, right? Or confidence. You know, they need to be humble in preparation. And then when they get between the lines, they need to have a little inner arrogance. They need to be perfectionist in preparation and then adaptable in performance. So I have this framework that I think is is what I've noticed when I've studied the greatest performers in the world. I'm curious for you, as you are getting into it with them, how do you shift from the times where you're going game speed and really trying to get them to do drills for a game? And when they are trying to do like form shooting or something that is really trying to drill down on a specific technique, because I, I would imagine that those are different approaches depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think we do a foam shooting and things like that, you know, lower level stuff. You, you, you just focus on the, the really nitty-gritty details, you know, fingertips and, and where your feet are and balance, where your eyes are, where your hips are, your elbow, things like that, and kind of perfecting that a little bit um, over time. And I always say with the shooting and things like that, you know, the, the, with the shooting, it, it's, not, it's not one summer. Sometimes it takes three, four years you know, to really become a great shooter, you know, Derek Rose and those guys, it wasn't, wasn't one summer. It wasn't Tuesday. It was, no, it's been the last 11 years of working hard. Um, and then when you go into, into the, to the next drill and, and you progress into the high level drills, um, you know, more, uh, more athletic kind of stuff. I think you kind of, I always like kind of let them go, you know, I'll, I'll call the drill out and I'll show them the move on my own and then we'll go. I'm not that type of trainer that's going, stop, 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 do this, do this. I'll let them do it, and then after the drill, or maybe after the workout, hey, listen, well, you're doing that step back. You know, I don't like stopping, stopping, because in a game, I'm not, I'm not there like, hey, come over here, you know, during the game and do it this way. So they kind of kind of learn on their own. So I kind of let them go, because they always say, I always say, you got it? You, you see the move? You know what to do? And they say yes, so I, I trust them, and most do. But, again, sometimes there's a little thing you would fix. I'm just not going to do it every second and stop. I, I like to go have a flow yeah it sounds like you really try to make your uh workouts as similar to a performance and get them into that space and that speed mm -hmm. so they can drill with the performance in mind uh which is really cool uh last thing where can people yeah. where can where can people find you on social media if they want to get the yeah. book where can they do that and anything else that you think deserves a megaphone and you want to promote now is it's it's full reign so go ahead yeah, yeah um so my Instagram and Twitter is Rob Mac MBA, R-O-B-M-A-C-N-B-A. Uh, you can follow me there. As far as the uh, book goes, it comes out October 1st, but you can pre-order now. Uh, it's on Amazon.com, network, two words, obviously under my name as the author, for by Steph Curry. Um, you know, it's definitely a unique book. I don't think everyone's really done yet. I'm talking about all these players and behind the scenes of all these MVPs and all-stars. So... And it also talks about the, you know, how you can get better in the corporate world as far as networking relationships and things like that. So, um, you know, I am doing corporate speaking. Everyone's interested. I'm actually doing a couple in Baltimore and uh, on October first, actually. So, yeah. So that's it comes out, you know, pre-order now on Amazon. Uh, and hopefully, everyone really enjoys it. It's, it's uh, you know, again, it's not, it took two years to write, but it really took, you know, 20 years to write. <laughs> Love it. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson and Instagram intentional underscore performers. And you can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Rob, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing your insight and all the best with the book and, and the season, which is right around the corner.
Yeah, man. I, I really appreciate you having me on and uh, hopefully you enjoy the book as well. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. Sometimes I definitely have a silent confidence, um, not to lose kind of attitude. You know, I always say, like, you know, if you don't shoot your shot, you know, there's no chance of making it right. So I think, you know, I, I prepared for it. You know, I knew going into Syracuse that that first season I made the team, I was working out so hard for two years. I could put on 30 pounds of muscle. So I went in there like, you know, I deserve to be out here in, in, in a way. You know, I, I got cut last year. I, I did what they told me to do. And I always give the comparison, you know, if you have a test on Friday in high school and you study Monday through Friday, you go on that test and you're like that. If you study Friday morning in the bus, we've all done it. We're like, oh. you know, so kind of how I approached it. I was just saying, I studied for my test, so why not just, you know, take the test. <laughs>